Well, good morning. You may be seated. As we are, we have finished up our summer series on the Psalms. We are now moving into our traditional kind of look at how we do church. And so today we're going to start into a new, new series that we call Our Church. So let's pray as we start. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we get to come together again around your word. That, Lord, that what draws us here and brings us together, what unites us, is the fact that your Son died in our place. Lord, we are here because of that amazing fact. So, Lord, I pray now that as we look at what it means to be a part of this church, a part of the New Life churches, that we would understand it, that we would be able to um, see our part in it, but more importantly, Lord, see how we can see you better through it. So Lord, I pray now as we dig into this that your name would be made great and that uh, you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think it's time that we talk about some 1980s films. Now, I know some of you I just lost. You're like, there's no way there's anything good from the 80s. Others of you are like, finally, yes, We're going to talk 1980s films. Let's go. All right. Well, I want to talk about a movie, which I've learned this. I was talking to a a friend of mine yesterday, and we were commenting on the fact that um, all these movies we watched in the 80s, we watched on recorded copies off the TV, right? And then we go back and we watch them now, and we're like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of not-so-good stuff in these movies. So I am not recommending this movie because I haven't seen it since I watched it off of the recording off of the TV, you know, 20-something years ago. But let's talk Karate Kid for a second. If you know the story of the Karate Kid, his name is Daniel LaRusso. And Daniel LaRusso had just moved from Newark, New Jersey to California. And he moves there, and he's having a hard time fitting in. He's getting bullied by a group of boys who are a part of Cobra Kai, which is the uh, local dojo run by a very tough-nosed guy, and uh, they're known for being bullies. So Daniel, through a circumstance of events, meets a man by the name of Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi is a karate champion. And he has trained karate, taught karate for years. And so Daniel, through a circumstances, convinces Mr. Miyagi to train him. Daniel wants to be equipped to withstand the bullies. So what does Mr. Miyagi do? He says, go paint the fence. He tells him how to paint the fence, right? And say some of you back there are already getting ahead. He sands the floor, right? And then the famous... Wax on, wax off. Daniel is put to hard labor, right? He paints the whole fence. I love the line. He goes, Daniel comes back and he's painted this much. And Mr. Miyagi goes, you paint whole fence. And Daniel's like, oh, man. So it's a, it's a phenomenal teaching tool because Daniel thinks he's being gypped, right? Daniel's going, I wanted to learn karate and you're teaching me stupid painting and waxing and whatever. And so he confronts Mr. Miyagi, and Mr. Miyagi goes, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not leading you astray. Show me, paint the fence. And he goes, yeah, and Daniel blocks him, right, and then whacks on, and it's, he's been learning all of these defenses to attacks. 
See, Mr. Miyagi was gonna, knew that Daniel was going to have to go and face the bullies. He was going to have to face people who knew a lot more karate than him. So he wasn't going to let him leave without equipping him, without teaching him. Because remember, Daniel said, oh, I want to learn how to punch. Mr. Miyagi goes, you've got to learn how to block a punch first. And so Mr. Miyagi trains Daniel. He equips him for what he needs to be able to accomplish surviving the Reseda High School where the bullies run the place. And see, our Lord is no different. In fact, he's way better than Mr. Miyagi. Our Lord has called for each of us, if we're his children, if we're believers, if we're followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, to go a certain direction. And the wonderful news, the good news today, is that he has equipped us to do it. He has given us the power to do it. Through his spirit residing in us, we have the power to do the things the Lord calls us to. Way better than what Mr. Miyagi could ever hope to accomplish. See, the key thing we need to get today is if the Lord calls you to do something, he empowers you to do it. And that, that we have to just totally rework how we think because so much of the time, it's the Lord's called me to do it, so I got to effort it out and I got to try to do it. No, that's not the way it works. The Lord gives us the strength to do it. Let me show you in his word. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That th this translation is not as emphatic as I think the Greek actually is. He's saying, all the works that I've called you to do, I am going to equip you to do. I am going to give you the strength to do it. I am going to empower you. So this is what we do at this church. We try to help you see that the strength is not in you. If God's going to build his church nationwide, worldwide, it cannot be built on us meager humans. We will mess it up. He needs to empower us through the gospel and through his Holy Spirit to go and do the work that's necessary. So this is our focus. So today really is kind of foundational. Over the next few weeks, we're going to go through why we do church, why we have multi-campuses. We're going to talk about what we do here on Sundays. We're going to talk about our life groups and Bible studies. And then we're going to talk about our own personal decisions and the things we need to do in our lives. So we're going to do that over the next few weeks. But today is kind of like setting the North Star. It's, it's putting the, the, the part up there that we must always remember. And it starts with the gospel. So look again at Romans 12 that Chris and Jeanette read a minute ago. This is the Apostle Paul talking. One of the things that Apostle Paul does is he spends the whole first half or more of his letters explaining the gospel. He spends all this time. Romans is the best and most clear and just depth and everything else, every other word you can use for it, explanation of the gospel. So verse 1 of chapter 12, I appeal to you therefore. Now readers of the Bible know that the word therefore means because of what came before this. So Paul's saying, because of the first 11 chapters, and no, we're not going over those today. We're just going to summarize them. So he says, because of the gospel, brothers and sisters, 
by the mercies of God. So that mercies of God is, again, the gospel. I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a continual sacrifice to him, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. In a nutshell, the verse 2 is what we are trying to do as a church. We're trying to pull ourselves out of the world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, whether it's here, whether it's in a Bible study, whether it's in a life group, or in your own personal quiet time, to be transformed so that you will know what is the good, acceptable, and pleasing will of the Lord. So the first thing we need to do is we need to start at the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, the word gospel simply means good news. We teach that the gospel is the foundation. It's the center of all that we do. We can't have a New Life Church without a gospel. Otherwise, we would simply be playing church. If we come together around anything else other than the good news that Jesus Christ lived and died on our behalf and rose again, we have nothing to connect us. One author writes, The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, dying for our sins and rising again, eternally triumphant over his enemies so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. So many of the times when we look at the gospel, we get the first part right, which is Jesus died so that our sins are taken away. But there is so much more to it. That's just the starting place. That's just the tip of the spear. That's just the beginning. There's so much more. This author goes on, you never, 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 never outgrow the need for the gospel. Don't ever think of the gospel as this is the way you were saved and then the strong Christians move on to something else. No, we are strengthened by the gospel day in and day out until we die. You never outgrow the need to preach the gospel to yourself. See, what we have such a tendency to do is we trust in God to take away our sins, but then everything else after that is all about us working it out, all about us efforting it out. And that's not the picture we see in God's word. The gospel is the good news, but there's so much more to it. Romans 1.16 Paul, at the very beginning of the book of Romans, defines for us the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of it, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That who believes can be translated as who is believing. It's a continual thing. But let's focus on that word power. We've talked about this word before. It's the word dynamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. It means explosive power. It's power. The gospel is not what gets us into the family. The gospel is what keeps us in the family. Jared C. Wilson writes this, The gospel-centered church is one that is explicitly and intentionally connecting its teachings, programs, ministry philosophy, and mission to the gospel. A gospel-centered church is so because the gospel is the engine that propels the mission. The gospel is the primary lens by which we view the world and people and things in it. The gospel isn't just a fad or a style, something traditional, something Baptist, something Reformed, something gospel. Gospel centrality is not an Instagram filter. The gospel of Jesus Christ should inform and influence and drive everything we do. 
So we must get this. This is why we're starting here. And really, this is the mini-sermon within the larger sermon, is that until we understand that God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only gets us into his family, but is what keeps us there and empowers us to do the things that he asks us to, we're going to be constantly frustrated. So gospel is power. Well, how do we get it? The Bible says faith. Now, when we think faith, we have the tendency to use the world's definition of a blind faith, of something that you're hoping for. Like, I have faith in that Santa Claus will bring me a gift this year kind of thing. But the word faith in the Bible means trust. And so this faith is when God tells us to do something, I trust him that he will provide the opportunity for me to do it. And the Holy Spirit is the member that brings this. And we're going to touch on the Holy Spirit here in a minute, but the Holy Spirit is that third member of the Trinity, the one that kind of gets lost, that we sometimes treat like the force from Star Wars, that it's a thing and not a he. But the Holy Spirit is the best news possible in that he resides in us and he's the means by which God empowers the gospel in us to do the work that we're called to do. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But throughout the Bible... This idea of gospel is not a once-and-done thing. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes again. Paul spent a whole bunch of time on the gospel. Now he's dealing with some stuff with the Corinthian church. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached you, unless you believed in vain. So look at the tenses there. So go back for a sec, Gabby. Show them verse 1 again. It says, in which you received, past tense. So in the past, if you're a Christian, you've had a, a, a beginning of a relationship with Jesus, right? We confess it. The gospel saves us. Look at the next one. It says, in which you stand. That's present tense. You're currently standing in the gospel right now. Then verse 2 says, by which you are being saved. Now, this is an interesting Greek term. This is a Greek term that was past, present, and future. So our being saved is not not a, boom, I'm saved. It's a continual, I am continuing to be saved by this gospel throughout my life. It's what keeps me in the sweet spot of God's blessing. It keeps me in his family. So you receive Christ through the confessing of your sins. You stand under this just as you stand when, like I'm doing now. And then through the Spirit, you continue standing until you breathe your last. So we put this gospel at the very center and we apply it. We apply it by rehearsing this over and over again. And it's not just enough to come here on Sundays and have me talk to you about the gospel. You need to read your word. You need to read the Bible. You need to listen to sermons. You need to have Bible teaching that's pouring that into you because the gospel's so foreign to our world. You're not going to find anybody out there talking about the best news ever. They're going to talk about anything else but. We need to come together around God's word through Bible studies, through life groups, and then we should worship together weekly like we're doing here today. And the cool thing about this is the more we rehearse the gospel to ourselves, the more it builds our faith and trust in God, and it's this just cycle, right? The more I rehearse it, oh, he forgives all of my sins. Oh, and yeah, even though I'm going to mess up again, he's forgiven me. Oh, and guess what? I'm not defined by what I've done. I'm defined by who did it for me and through me. So this is how the gospel is centralized. 
So how do we know if something is gospel-centered? There's lots and lots of churches out there, and we're not unique. We're not the only gospel church, a gospel-centered church in the world. We're not even the only gospel-centered church in this community. There are, though, many other churches that are pretenders, and they pretend, and they may not be doing it out of maliciousness or, or something like that, but there is a form of going to church that does not believe the gospel. And when I say believe the gospel, I mean it's not attached to what they do. So let me show you some examples. What we try to do here is we try to do gospel-centered preaching. Another version is political-centered preaching or politics-centered preaching. Some pastors will call people to faith, but their sermons are all based on current events. They're all based on societal transformation. They're all based on, we need to get this out. We need to do this. The gospel is there, many times as an invitation at the end, or for those who don't know Jesus. But instead of focusing on Christ's death and resurrection from every single text in the Bible, they are focusing on current events, or potential future outcomes, or things like that. The second version is called advice-centered preaching. This is where pastors spend most of their time giving practical advice. Three ways to make your marriage better, how to have a better family, how to manage your money, how to cut the stress out of your work. Now these messages do at times include the good news that Jesus died for you. But that's kind of another one of those little side parts, right? Jesus died for you, but let me tell you what you know, the doctor says about these five things. Now, to be clear, when we talk about the gospel and we have a gospel-centered message, it's not so highfalutin that it doesn't apply to your life, that it doesn't actually lead to improvement in your life. It will, but the gospel is going to drive what we do, not social sciences, not what someone says is the best way to do something. The third way, and this one was, this one I had to spend some time really thinking on because it, it sounded wrong but right evangelism-centered preaching. You're like, whoa, hold on a second. Uh, we're supposed to evangelize. Now, an evangelist is somebody who takes the good news, all right? It means to go tell someone the good news. The problem with evangelism-centered preaching is that it says the only people that need the gospel are non-Christians. The rest of you all, you don't need it. You've already got it. You're in the club. You've got the secret handshake, the, the pin, whatever it is that gets you in. This is not what the Bible teaches. Christians don't move past the gospel. They go deeper into it. One of the most amazing things that I've been prepping to teach an Old Testament class to seventh graders here in a couple weeks is how many times you see the gospel in the book of Genesis. I mean, it leaps off the page over and over again. And I'm not talking about the real low-hanging fruit like Joseph's life. I mean, there are places throughout where it's right there. And so we as Christians are never to move past the gospel, we're to move deeper into it. The gospel saves us from the penalty of our sins, absolutely. Non-Christians need to know that. Non-believers need to know that. But us believers need to have continual exposure because the gospel frees us from the power of the sin in our lives now. When we became Christian, it wasn't, we're perfect, we never sinned again. That's not the way it works. Instead, we are forgiven, and then the Lord is working in us. This is called sanctification. There's your $5 Bible theology word for the day. Sanctification 
is you being made more and more holy like Christ. And that's what the gospel does in our lives. So it, no raise of hand, don't do it. How many of you have sin in your life you'd like to get rid of? If you have sin in your life you like to get rid of, you go deeper into the gospel. You trust the Lord more. You go and let the Holy Spirit renovate more. That's what we're giving up as Christians when the gospel is something that just gets us in. One day, he will deliver us completely from all sin in heaven. On the new heaven and new earth, there will be no sin. So your life is a preview of what heaven's going to look like. You getting that? When the gospel takes root and it renovates your life, you become more and more Christ-like. You're getting a preview of what heaven will look like. No, we don't get our new bodies yet. No, we still have aches and pains. No, there's still diseases. But the sin loses its grip on us, and we become more like Christ. And that's what we need to see. So evangelism-only preaching is not going to work. The last one, and this is one that I know I've sat under in the past, and many of you have, virtue-centered preaching. This is where someone will take usually an Old Testament character and they'll say, dare to be like Daniel. Fight giants in your life like David. Lead like Nehemiah. Now these sermons are very helpful. A lot of times they do have good, positive things for us to do. However, they've disconnected the stories of the Old Testament from their point, which is pointing forward to Jesus. Scripture is pointing to Christ, all of it. There can be a lot of good things that come from these kinds of preaching, but they're not based on the gospel. And so guess what? There's no power. Now, praise be the Lord that there are people that grow under these different kinds of preaching. That's God's mercy and grace. But we want to, as a church, be so focused on the gospel that it permeates into everything. Because here's the truth. When we take the gospel and we add anything to it, That thing is not strong enough to keep up with the gospel. So what it ends up doing is it ends up being a drag. It ends up being an anchor. It ends up being chains that pull us down. Oh, I'm saved by Jesus, but I have to do works. Who becomes your ruler? Your works do. Oh, I'm saved by Jesus, but we've got to win this political battle. Who becomes the ruler? The political battle. See, we add anything to the gospel, it's a lesser thing, it's a created thing, and created things, when they become main things, become idols. And idols are chains about us dragging us down. And so we need to make sure we see that. We can't add anything to the gospel. So we want to be free people. So how does the gospel work on us? What does it do? Well, the Holy Spirit, let's return to him for a minute. It's a he, not an it. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart, in your life. You become the temple of God, right? Now remember, the temple of God, there was the Herod's temple, which is the one that Jesus was around in his time. And then there was Solomon's temple and the tabernacle. And what was the same in all three of those? This was the place that God made his presence most felt in the Holy of Holies, right? This is what Moses got to see when he went up on the mountain with the burning bush. This is what Adam and Eve experienced walking in the Garden in Eden. That presence. We get to have that in us right here and right now. We become a temple for the God of the universe. He lives in us and through us. This is how the gospel works in us. 
The God of the universe comes in and begins renovating, and he begins making it his own. But the thing he loves to do is he loves our roots to go deeper into the fact that Jesus died for us so that our branches can begin to soar and we can bear fruit. So we must remember 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Remember the gospel which you received in which you stand in which you are being saved. You receive it. You've been saved, and you are still being saved. Now, plants grow slowly, right? We know this. And then all of a sudden, it seems like they're producing fruit like crazy. A healthy tree will produce healthy fruit. So how do we, how do we tap into that? Again, it's through faith. Romans 5, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory. You see what it says there in verse 2? We have access by faith. Faith is the key. Faith is the means by which we enter into the gospel. And then what are we tapping into when we tap into the gospel? Romans 1.16 the power of God. So we have faith is the key, gospel is the power, and the Holy Spirit is the guide. The Holy Spirit is the leader. So if you put it this way, you want to use a car analogy, the faith, faith is the ignition, right? And it's really easy for all of us non-car people to go, wow, that ignition is pretty powerful. Listen to the roar of the engine. But you know that that ignition, all it did was a little spark. The real power is in the gasoline and the horsepower of the engine in the car you're driving. And then who's driving this car? Who's driving it is the Holy Spirit. So we see this as the way we want to be living according to God's Word. The faith gets us in, the power of God moves us forward, and the Holy Spirit tells us where to go. So the way we've done this is we've shown a, a flywheel. And if you imagine the gospel's in the center, and then spinning off of that, you will see personal change and community and mission and service. So we're going to walk through these pretty quickly, and uh, I want to make sure you see what they are. So the first thing we're going to talk about is personal change. All right, this is where the gospel comes and works in your heart. And many times this is invisible at first, right? The gospel's working on your heart, and there's no outside change. It's all internal. But eventually, it begins making us new. Jesus gives us new hearts, making us new people. In Galatians 5, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there, are no, there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, there's the driver, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So you look at these, all these, this fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, denying yourself, all of these things start internally, and then they begin working their way out. Eventually, what we are inside is going to show. Now, if we have faith, but we're not tapping into the gospel power, we have to have some means by doing it, and, and for many of us, we started with faith and then we kind of jettisoned the gospel and it became, I got to try to love and I got to try to do this or I have to make rules so I have self-control or, or whatever. And those are not bad things, but that's not where the power lies. The power is not in a checklist. The power is not in your willpower. The power is not in legalism. The power is in the gospel. 
So when the gospel takes over and we believe it and we tap into it, personal change happens because the Spirit is at work, not our self-effort. Our abiding in Christ means that Christ becomes more and more clear to us. You become a new person. At first, it's not apparent, but over time, it speeds up. Now, let me show you again. I think the gospel wheel will be up on the next slide. This is called a flywheel, and I, I, I struggled with this. I was like, what is a flywheel? And so one of the pastors said, well, it's like a merry-go-round. And so you see on this, on this wheel, we've got four things. And I'm starting with personal change, and I'm just going to work my way around. This is not a do this if you want to get in, and then don't worry about the others. All four of these must be present. This isn't a checklist. Well, I got my personal change down. Now it's time for community. No, all four of these should be coming off of you. So that same pastor, who will remain nameless, said when he was a kid, he really liked pushing the merry-go-round really hard until his friends flew off. Sounds safe. Now, I don't know if he's repented of that. Um, it sounds a little tormenting, but uh, the idea, though, is sound, right? So as the wheel is spinning and as it begins going faster and faster, it just throws off those things. And this is what we want to see here. It's like the roots of the tree. The tree goes down deep and the tree grows up. It just can't help itself to produce fruit, right? And the fruit goes everywhere. So these three, community, mission, and service, are things that must be there in your life if you're a Christian. Because see, here's the thing. If you've submitted to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're coming into the reality of the fact that he's your king and he's in charge, and yet you look at it and your life doesn't show any of the fruit that he says should be there, you need to repent. You're disobedient. Repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry I'm not letting you have control. Have control over me. Allow your fruit to grow. See, the thing is, you can believe in Jesus and never show fruit. He allows us to decide whether we're going to let him drive the car. We're going to choose to follow and be a part of his gospel mission. And, that, and, and I don't know why he does it that way. It seems like it would be a whole lot easier if God would have just made us robots. But he gives us that choice. And so, are we making that choice? Are we choosing to submit to him and go, okay, I don't feel like it, but I know that community is where I'm supposed to be. Lord, work it in me. Push it out in me. One of the things we as believers begin doing is we want to be around other believers. Not because it's a mutual admiration society, but because we need help to remember the gospel. We need others to help us with that. If you've been a believer for many, many years, the newer believers need help with that. And that can be age or that could just be length of being a Christian. We need help with that. And those of you that have been Christians for a very long time, you need the energy of the younger ones who are going, I'm on fire for Jesus, let's go. We need all of that. Not to mention there's about 151 another's in the Bible. And many of those are in the church. Love one another, care for one another, serve one another. You can't do one another's if you're not with others. So gospel creates community. Our faith grows. This is one of the ways the gospel picks up steam. What's interesting is that the word church, it's, it's a Greek word, ekklesia. It's an interesting word because in Greek, there are like five other words for religious buildings. 
The word ecclesia means a gathering of people. So what's interesting is when we say church gathering, which we say all the time, instead of a church service, right, church gathering, we're actually saying a gathering gathering. That's what that literally means. The church has nothing to do with these walls. It's nice we have them, and it's nice we have electricity, and it's nice we have a place to gather, but you all are the church. It's a gathering of people, and it's always been that way. It is good for God's people to gather. Hebrews 10, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need this gathering. We all need this gathering, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or a short time. So we come together, right? And then we're just supposed to get along, right? And our, our gut is we just, we have to effort it out. We have to use willpower. No, look how Paul says it. Romans 15, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Notice at the beginning it says, God is who Paul is asking to do a unifying work in us. God does the work in us, and we rally around glorifying God. Paul's not saying, you try harder. He's saying, you rally around God. You follow God's command. I love that our church, we gather together. We're old, we're young, we're married, we're unmarried, we're employed, we're unemployed. I love it. I think that it's a, it's a great idea because we wouldn't be here if it weren't for the good news of Jesus Christ. So we ignite the relationship. The problem is, is that many churches get together and they gather around something else. Oh, yeah, yeah, we all go to church together, but our fellowship's around something instead of someone, instead of around the work of Jesus Christ. Similar dislikes, similar likes, we become fractured. Same age, same marriage situation, we become a fractured church. We are to be unified. So trying to have community apart from the gospel does not work the way the Bible says. So what is the application here? Well, when we believe the gospel, we are committed to the people in our church. When we believe the gospel, we show hospitality and share meals together. I love that our church cares for people when they're hurting, when people have surgeries, when people are sick. We have a very vibrant meals ministry. We also are so close to each other that we can frustrate each other, and that's good. We have to see the change from the inside out, slowly at first, but picking up steam. So personal growth is accompanied by community, but it's also accompanied by mission. The gospel produces mission. Now, when you hear the word mission, you've been in church any amount of time, one of two thoughts might come up. The first one is, uh-oh, Pastor John's going to be talking about sending us overseas to do something. I don't want to go to outer Mongolia. That doesn't sound that appetizing to me. I, I just want to tune it out. Now, it is in fact a truth that the Bible calls us to go and be missionaries. That's an absolute fact. And as a matter of fact, Gladstone, both First Baptist Church Gladstone and New Life Gladstone, has been very vibrant in foreign ministries or missions. And that's a good thing. However, there is a mission field that doesn't really require you to go anywhere. The second thing that people will hear when you hear mission is that, oh, foreign missions, let's give to it. And I think, again, New Life Church and First Baptist Church Gladstone gave more than I could have ever imagined to foreign missions. Phenomenal giving. I love that. But that's not the only way to support missions. 
Because here's the thing. Every single one of us is planted in a mission field. Every single one of us. Our neighbors, our coworkers, the people we see at the gym, the people we see at the coffee shop, the people we see at the grocery store, the ball game, on the school pickup and drop-off, and so on and so forth. We're planted in mission fields, and this is a very dark mission field. I remember in seminary, uh, I met a guy from South Korea, and he said, I'm a missionary. And I said, oh, great, where are you going? He goes, oh, well, I- I'm, I'm here. And I said, no, I mean, where are you going for your mission work? And he goes, Oregon. And, and my first thought was like, no, we got lots of churches, and we've got, and he's like, well, do you know the numbers? And I've said this before, but percentage-wise, there's more Christians in China than there is in the I-5 corridor. You guys, we're in a mission field here. We have a lost city. We have a lost nation. And this is convicting. Do you know your neighbors? We live in a commuter society where we probably work somewhere else, not near our house. Do we know the people that live around us? This was brought into stark relief a few years ago between the forest fires and then the ice storm. If you needed some gasoline to run a generator and you went next door, would they recognize you as their neighbor? Would you recognize them if they came to your door? It's kind of convicting. But this is where the Lord has planted us. There is a mission field around us. We don't have to go anywhere. And we want to help you with that. One of the ways we're going to help you with that, and this has been in an email, is this website right here. It's called blesseveryhome.org. You can take your phones out and take a picture. It'll also be in tomorrow's Monday morning gleanings. This is a website using all public information, and it tells you the name of every person in a house in your neighborhood. Now, that sounds kind of creepy, okay? Again, it's public information. You can find it really easily. This is not breaking any laws or anything like that. But what's great about this is two things. One, it tells you, the website tells you when someone moves into your neighborhood. What an opportunity to go and meet somebody. And secondly, if you join, which it's free to join, just use New Life Church like that, it's free to join, it will send you a daily email with the names of your neighbors and prayer prompts. Because here's the thing, we've all been called to share the gospel with our neighbors, every single one of us. And we are really struggling with that. It might be easier to go overseas than to go talk to your neighbor. So these prayer opportunities are giving us the opportunity to pray and go, Lord, help me to be able to, pray, to meet this person. Help me to have an opportunity. And then, what have we done? We have trust in the Lord. We're tapping into the power of the gospel, not a strategy to go do it. You have to memorize five points and all that. No, we're trusting the gospel and we're trusting the Spirit to set up divine appointments. And when they do, we just talk about what we know to be true. God's Word. His gospel, his good news. Now, does that mean you can't be their friends? No, by all means, befriend them. Get to know them. We all could use more friends that live near us, couldn't we? You know, this is one of the more inhospitable places in the United States to live. If you go other places, there's a lot more smiling and how you doings and waves. In Oregon, you're more likely to get a middle finger if you're in somebody's way than to get a smile. And so our neighborhoods need people networking and communicating and doing that. And this is not about numbers. 
You can look on this website and you can see how many homes are being prayed for and we can go, oh, new life is really spiritual. That's not what it's about. What it's about is helping you to break down walls to talk to your neighbors about the thing that's way more important than anything else. You can take the gospel to them. The Bible says this, 2 Corinthians 5, in Christ God has reconciled the world to himself not counting their trespasses against him, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, our houses are little, are little foreign embassies in this dark world. And I love when you do that, that uh, every, every home matters, you can see, they call them lights, right? And you can see all the people from New Life who are lights, who are praying. These are all embassies. We're all ambassadors for Christ to take them to our neighborhood. But again, we have to believe in the gospel. Not in a method, not in a set of rules that we have to do. We have to trust God and go, Lord, you are going to lead me. Think about the ways the Lord has done things in, in the Old Testament and New, right? He doesn't do it the way we would expect. Well, here's your mission plan and a vision statement, and here's your three steps, and you do these three things, boom, and we all get, we all get saved. No, God goes, oh, we're going to have you march around the city for seven days straight, and then break some stuff and blow a horn, and they're just going to fall down. Or the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived, traveled thousands and thousands of miles and then he gets arrested and he's stuck in a house for two and a half years. That's a part of your plan, God? Wouldn't Paul be much better suited still traveling around? See, God always loves to work in ways that we wouldn't expect. So by tapping into this and going, Lord, I don't know how you're going to reach my neighbors, but I am trusting in you. Just like I trust in you that you took my sins away, I am trusting in you that you're going to provide the way to do this, and I am ready. Tapping into gospel power. So pray for the people in your neighborhood. Have margin in your life so if your neighbor needs to talk, you're not going, well, I've got 15 things to do. I can't talk to you right now. And all of us need to at least have one cup of coffee or soda or a meal with a non-believer each week. If we can go through our week without seeing a single non-believer, we might need to change what we're doing. Now, some of us will say, I have no time, I'm too tired, I'm too busy, I don't know my neighbors. Just remember, if God calls you to do it, which he has, remember, ambassadors of reconciliation, that's us. When he calls you to do something, what does he do? He empowers you to do it. You will have the energy, you will have the time, you will have the words, because he's the one that does it. The last thing we're going to look at is service. We're not looking at it last because it's some varsity level versus JV level. We had to start somewhere, and we had to end somewhere. So gospel sends us into service. And honestly, for new believers, this is the place that's easiest to jump in because you, everybody can pick up chairs and move them. Everybody can do that. I mean, we all have skills and gifts, and we all have a part in the body of Christ, and we all have the ability to serve. As a matter of fact, I know a nine-year-old who looks a lot like me who serves every single Sunday by picking up connection cards. I'm pretty sure everybody in this room could do that too, couldn't they? 
Now, not everybody in this room could stand up and do preaching or can do, you know, work on the church, but there are all sorts of gifts and skills that you have that the Lord wants us to use, not to serve each other, but to serve Him. Jesus came to serve, didn't He? Romans 12 talks about this. We are one body. We have many members. The members are not all the same, have, do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. Individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in serving. The one who teaches, in teaching. The one who exhorts, in exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now what he's not saying here is he's not saying, you have one gift, don't do any of the others. This is a list saying many of us are going to be in different places. That second one in, service, all of us can do that. When we try to use these as our foundation, though, instead of the gospel, we will make a mess of it. You'd say something like, well, I'm a, I'm a teacher. I can't move chairs. Uh, you know, I, I'm a, I, I have the gift of prophecy. I can't unclog a toilet. Uh, you know, I, I have the gift of generosity. So I don't need to talk to people at church and, and help people find where they're sitting. Because here's the thing. If we wait for the amount of energy we need to be able to serve, we're never going to have it. If we wait for a service opportunity that fits my perfect needs of all of the skills that God's given me, we're never going to find it. If we wait for a time that is convenient, we're never going to find it. Service comes when we are waiting on the right thing. And that's the Lord saying, do it. See, if the Lord calls you to do something, He will equip you and empower you to do it. We only wait for the opportunity and we trust in the Lord. So yes, you know, there are many times where I've been called to do things and I am exhausted. I'm going, I'm going to fall asleep on my drive there because I am exhausted but Lord, I know this is where I'm supposed to be. And you know what? Every single time, no falling asleep, more energy, and better sleep after I did it. The Lord's calling you to serve. Serve with all your might and trust Him for the power to do it. So we serve, but we never serve alone. We help others to serve, and we care for others as we serve. For many people, church is something that you do because of a decision you made in the past. You view it as something Christians do. In fact, many of us, we see it that way. A Christian is what I do, not what has been done for me. But the Bible's view is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He empowers all that you do. So, we must go deeper. We must trust more. All of this is not about effort and try to do it with all of our might. Instead, it's tapping into the depth of God's power through the gospel. It's about crying out to God every day and going, Lord, make the good news alive in me again and again. And his word is true. And so as a church, we are praying and we are hoping that you get this. And we want to stir that up in you. That's what we do every Sunday from the worship time, from the prayer time, the fellowship time, the Bible study time, life group time. All of it is to stir up in you a desire to go deeper into the good news that Jesus Christ died 
on your behalf, taking your sins and then giving you a life that mirrors his as he begins renovating inside you. This is the thing we want to take you on. This is the journey we want to go on together. Please join us in this journey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed by your good news. What an unfair deal. You get all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our disgrace, and we get your glory. We get to be considered children of the most awesome and almighty God. You get pain, you get suffering and a death on a cross like a criminal, and we get a crown and a robe and a scepter, and we get to rule with you. What an unfair deal. But Lord, you are so merciful and gracious that you took it willingly. So Lord, we praise you for that. Lord, we can never move past that. Help us to not do that. Help us to see that the gospel is what we need every day so that we know we are the children of God, not by what we do, but what has been done for us. So Lord, help us to see that rightly. Now, as we remind ourselves in singing, help it to be even more clear. In Jesus' name, amen.